Right, well, good morning. Thank you very much. Yes, um, I want to talk to you a bit about noise and what turns noise into something slightly nicer than noise, the sort of thing that we enjoy listening to. I don't know if this is the sort of music that you all enjoy listening to. It's more my era than some of yours. But you can hear sounds which aren't just simply noise. I think we'd all recognise it as something that was intentionally produced and potentially pleasant to listen to. But you can also see on the screen something which I think probably almost all of you recognise. This idea that we represent, we can show music as a wiggly line. And I'll be showing you quite a lot of wiggly lines and trying to explain a bit more about why we use them and what they're telling us about what's going on. So we'll certainly come back to some of these wiggly lines later, but we can pause that for the moment. Um, because, as I say, there is noise, there are sounds. And I think you're all probably quite happy with the idea that sounds are transmitted. They move from one place to another through the air. Now, they can move through other materials, but certainly for us, what's important when I'm talking to you here and now is that inside my body, inside my vocal cords, I'm making sound, and we'll talk a bit more about how I do that. And that sound then travels through the air to you and your detectors. And if we were in outer space, if there was no air between us, one of the famous things about science fiction films is that you can't, nobody can hear you scream in space, you can't hear explosions, because there is nothing between you and somebody else to take the sound from one place to the other. So what is it about the air that takes sound from one place to another? Well, what sound is, and what is remarkable about our ears, sound is tiny, really small changes in the pressure of air, how much it's squashed and stretched. Um, and it is remarkable how sensitive our, our ears are. You know, well, I think most of us are quite impressed by vision. Um, which is a remarkable sense. But our ears are incredibly sensitive detectors for sound. Um, I mean, I've inflated that balloon, I've puffed into it, and not terribly strongly. There's not a very large pressure in there. But I think you all know that if I released that pressure very suddenly with a pin, it would make a very loud noise. And actually, by the time that change in pressure, as the squished, the squashed air inside the balloon escapes and squashes the air between you and it, by the time that gets to your ears, it's an incredibly small, a very, very small fractional change in the squash, in the air, that your ears will detect as a very loud sound. And, I mean, the variation that I'm making in talking is, you know, a thousandth of the pressure that I've pumped into that balloon. So I'm talking relatively quietly. 
So we can make a noise, but the bang of a popping balloon is not a very pleasant sound. But what we're interested in today are the sort of sounds that we rec recognise as sound as opposed to just simply noise. Well, one of the things that's very common in musical instruments, and I'll talk about a few musical instruments, perhaps one of the most common that we're all familiar with is something that involves a string. And I've talked about the wavy line on the, the graph on the screen, and it's good to, to think backwards and forwards between the wavy line and the um, string of, let's say, a guitar, as I'll come to explain. But, you know, I can take something like, you know, a sort of a stretchy string, and I can flick it, and you may just be able to hear sound, but not very much. And as I say, I can bang a balloon, and you can hear a bit of a sound, but not very much. And the, the art of making musical instruments is working out how you can connect these two ideas to make something much more effective. And just simply taking a balloon and attaching one of these balloons, if I hold it like this and actually hold the long balloon across the top of that, then... Ooh, Suddenly, a plunking it before on its own made little or no noise and not recognisably a note. But by combining the two, I can make a very, very crude musical instrument. And we need to think, as we go through this morning, about these two parts. The string which is a wobbly thing, something that can wobble, but may well not make very much sound on its own. And the second balloon I'm using to make that sound louder. And many, many musical instruments combine these two parts together in sometimes a more and sometimes a less obvious a fashion. In order to make a sound, and then make the sound audible, hearable. So let's begin just with that string, the stretch line, that gave us, that was, you could see that by, by stretching it and loosening it, I could change the note that we produce. So let's just have a little look at a note. Um, because notes are different from just the bang of a balloon. And you can hear a note now, it's a very low note. But you can see on the screen the, a measure of the change in the pressure in the air around us. If I turn the volume down, you can see the line, it, it's not perfectly flat, because there's a little bit of sound, but flat. When I make a note, You can see that I have this beautifully regular change. If I just change the scale a little bit, mm, that's probably about the best. You can see that the squeeze, the squash, and the stretch in the air around us, it's being squashed and stretched, squashed and stretched, 
about a hundred times a second. And that sound that you can hear, not only can your ears detect incredibly small squashes and stretches, they detect incredibly fast ones. This note, which is down at about the lowest we can hear, we can go lower, but my stereo doesn't work very well much below, a hundred wobbles a second, a hundred squashes and stretches every second, over and over again. And it's giving us something that is recognizably a note. And we can change that note. You saw that I could make it louder and quieter by making the squash and stretch bigger and it's louder. If I make it smaller, it's quieter. So that's quite nice and simple. How loud something is is just how much we're doing. The more we squash and stretch, the louder the sound. The less we squash and stretch, the quieter the sound. But now let's look at what happens when I change the number of squashes and stretches. Let's just click that back so that we have roughly one squash and stretch across the screen. If I increase the number, you can see now where I have about three or four, we have a much higher note. And I can carry that on up. It is getting larger. That's just an effect of my amplifier. It's better at making sounds around here than very, very low. So just as I turn the number of wobbles per second up, my electronics just gets better at um, making it loud. So, but you can see there that by the time we get... Oh, I'm changing the volume. Forgive me. That's about, not a hundred, but about a thousand wobbles per second. About ten across the screen and a much, much higher note. About two and a half octaves higher. We sense that considerably higher. So we can detect from a hundred wobbles up to a thousand wobbles. And so your ears are counting at an incredible rate. We're able to tell very, very fast wobbles from very, very low wobbles just by what note it sounds like. And each of those, as I ran up and down, was a different note and all the off notes in between all the way from the very low sound up. Now, I am going to just mount... I've noticed that one or two of you found that a little unpleasant. I'm now going to make it somewhat more unpleasant by jumping it right the way from... a uh, hundred to a thousand, and there we are again. You can see it. And I'm going to go on up. And I'd like to do a little bit of a survey. Um, what I want you to do in a moment is, when, if you can hear the sound, I want you to put your hand up. And I want you to keep it up until you can no longer hear the sound. Okay? Because we can hear, as I say, we can hear from about 50 wobbles a second, but it's a pretty horrible <laughs> noise. So I didn't go quite that low. We started at 100. 
But I'm now going to go up, um, and it, it does get a little unpleasant when it's right up at the top, but I'll try not to make it too loud. So, if you can hear the sound that I'm playing at the moment, will you put your hand up? Okay. Well, we've lost one. One's gone. I must admit, I'm starting to have trouble. Right, I've lost it. Oh, just. Oh, most. Okay, we've lost another one. Right, it's worth noting who are the ones that have put their hands down. I'm most impressed by the rest of you. Really? Okay, I'm going to have to jump. Um, forgive me. You'll all lose it there. So, my guess is that. How are you doing now? Yeah, you can hear that now? Yeah, okay, sorry, back in. I didn't realise it was going to go this far. I can't hear that. Lost a few. Lost two. Uh, right. Now, the point is, is, if I bring it down to about there, I'd say about half of you could hear it at that point. Yeah, and especially... Sorry, I'm going to... Because I can't hear anything, so I don't mind that at all. Um, the key thing was that we lost people basically in order of age. That the oldest amongst us put our hands down first, and then the younger and younger and younger. And in the end, it was the five and six, well, up to, probably up to about, about ten-year-olds, all had their hands up. Because when we're very young, we can hear much higher notes than we can when we get old. And it's actually one of the easiest tests for how old somebody is, is you just measure at what point they stop being able to hear notes. Because very regularly, from about the age of 16, you lose it. And so any of you that are close to 16, you're at your peaks in terms of being able to hear sounds. Um, it's not just that Granny and Grandpa find it hard to hear any noise. The reason why Granny and Grandpa, and me, I'm not quite a Granny or a Grandpa yet, um, find it more and more difficult to, under, to hear things is because actually they're losing all the very high notes. And we'll come back to it a bit right at the end of the show. Um, and speech. Speech, particularly s, 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 the S's and the F's in speech, use very high notes. And that's what Granny and Grandpa can't hear. It's not just that you're talking quietly, but they just can't hear those very s-s-s-y sounds. And they find it very difficult to tell the difference between s and d and f and things like that because they've lost the shushy sounds at the beginnings of words. And that, that's a large part of the problem that we have with hearing things. So we've seen that pure notes, I'll turn that off now, pure notes are those very regular wobbles. And that's one of the reasons why we use these, this drawing sound, this line representation, because we can very, very easily see whether there are lots of wobbles or very few wobbles on a graph like this. And so scientists find it very, very useful as a way to measure 
sound and represent sound because we can see very quickly. And also, that beautifully regular shape, it has a special name, it's called a sinusoidal, a sine wave, but that's not important. That beautifully regular shape is very recognisable. And if we have a regular shape, we have a pure note. And when we were looking at this line at the beginning, when there was music and lots of instruments and somebody singing, we had lots and lots of different shapes all on top of each other, which were lots and lots of those simple waves added together. Let's go back to our guitar and just um, persuade ourselves that the same sort of thing is happening. Um, I do need a volunteer, and actually, just because I'm standing here and you're standing there, I fear to say it's going to be easy. I'm sorry, I'm sure you'd like... What I need you to do is pick up that rubber band at the end, and I need to trust you something chronic, because I do not want you to let go. Okay, if I promise not to let go, I hope you will too. Okay, um, I could show you a guitar and I could plunk the guitar and I might do it in a bit. Um, but it's very, very hard to see what's happening with that guitar string. So I've got a very, very large guitar string here, which is just a series of rubber bands strung together. And when we pluck the string of a guitar, which we normally do by pulling it aside with our finger, you can see that what happens is a wobble runs up and down the string. But you'll have noticed that, you know, after, if I stop it and we try and settle it down, although it flicks from end, backwards, forwards, what you then notice is the string tends to just bump, bounce up and down all on its own at the same speed, the same rate. Now, what Get that sort of time into your mind, and then look what happens to the pulse. It takes the same amount of time for that pulse to run from one end to the other, and it sets the, it sets the string off, wobbling up and down in a wave that is very, very similar to that sine wave, that regular wave that we saw on the screen. And this is the reason why a guitar, a stringed instrument, will produce a pure tone. Now, it can produce a pure tone like that, um, and if I stretch the string, and it's a, bit, it's a bit of a cheat that I'm making it longer, so actually I'm just going to keep the string the same length, but it's now tighter, and look, the flick is faster, and if we do that, you'll see that actually it takes slightly less time. I mean, it's, it's hard to judge because I can't show you both at the same time. But as we tighten a string, that's lovely. Thank you. I didn't ask your name. Seth. Seth. Well, thank you very much for your help. That was brilliant. A round of applause for Seth. I, he didn't let go of the rubber band and twang me. Um, so if we look at something as simple as a guitar, it has a string. And many of you will know that I can adjust. I'm not going to do this because it's my son's guitar and he'll kill me if I put it all out of tune. As we change the stretch and tighten the string, the note rises. We can do it in a different way. You, you'll have seen that, I mean, I had little weights added to the, the rubber band. Quick one, it's, it's, and, but, and I'll give you a chance to ask questions at the end, but I don't... You, 
well, that brought okay, brilliant. I think, right, that's really useful because I, because I don't play the guitar. This is my son's guitar. I would sort of ask you to, to, to come and show. The only problem is it's a very difficult guitar to play because my son is rather into steel, well, into slide guitars. And this has had its bridge altered so that the strings are lifted way up above the frets. Um, just very, very briefly. So if I, and I'm just trying to work out where I put me slide, I put it in my jacket. So it's completely useless because there are then, oh, different musical instruments, 10, you know, it's a musical instrument that played one note would be relatively boring. So they tend to have different ways of playing different notes. Um, the piano has 88 strings, each of which plays a pure note. And depending upon which string you hit when you press the, the note of a piano, depending upon which string you hit, you get a different note. Guitars don't have 88 strings. They have six normally, sometimes four, sometimes 12. Um, and what you do is you change the length of the string. I mean, you could do it by tuning it all the time, but it would be very, very hard to play. Um, so what we do instead is change the length of the string, which has the effect of changing the note. Um, as I say, this is designed not to be... Normally, we press down on these metal frets to change the length, but my son is rather into... If I can. So you can change the note by shortening it. So the string is wobbling, just like our large rubber band did. And, and in a sense, that's what's making the sound. But what makes the sound that we can hear isn't really just the, say, the string, because in the same way as with our, one of these, and when I was wobbling the rubber band, you couldn't hear anything, because a string is very, very bad at wobbling the air, because it's so thin, it just moves through and you hear nothing. What actually makes the sound, what makes the volume, forgive me, the volume in a guitar is the body. And the clever thing about guitars and violins, cellos, double basses, things like that, is that the strings, which on them in themselves make very little noise, they wobble the body of the guitar. As the string wobbles backwards and forwards, it pulls here on the, this end. It's not the bridge. That's the bridge. I can't remember what this is called. Somebody can tell me if they know. And that wobbles the body of the guitar. And as the body wobbles, it pumps air in and out of the hole in the center. So what makes the sound you can hear is the body. The string is what sets how many wobbles there are a second. So different strings, each can wobble the body and the body will make the sound that they require. And that's really one of the key tricks in musical instruments.
some instruments don't actually require a body, and I thought I'd just show you one because it's one of my favourites. Um, and again, it shows you the sort of tricks that people use, musicians use, to make sound. Um, this is a saw. It's a perfectly standard saw. And it... It's not the most musical of objects. Um, some of you may be familiar with how this is played, but the point is that there's nothing you can do with that. Um, you can bend it, and it really doesn't improve it at all. Except that what people discovered is if you bend it like that. So instead of being in a U, it's in an S at which point it behaves completely differently. Now, what I'm going to use is a violin bow, or well, I may well not be a violin, but the sort of bow that you would use with a, an instrument like a violin. Um, if I do this, it's pretty awful. And if I bent it in a U, it would be awful. But this is covered in a substance called rosin, which allows the strings just to stick and pull the metal to the side. And suddenly, and the point is, is that if this were just a tiny thin strip of metal, again, it wouldn't be able to make very much noise. But because the saw is so wide, it, it plays both tricks at the same time. It can wobble, choosing a note, and I can change the note by changing how I twist the guitar, twist the saw, so I can change the note, but it's large enough that it will make sound on its own. Um, and again, just taking to one of my favourites, this is, this is a thing called a musical box which actually has about two dozen little metal uh, strips, a bit like miniature saws, but just little strips, which you can pluck. Um, and if you do, you, what you tend to do is you, you can use a piece of paper with some holes cut in it that choose which of the little metal prongs is plucked. And if I can get it to go, are you going to go? No. Come on. There. Why are you not going? Thank you. You may just be able to hear the sound. Very, very quiet. But if I place it on the table, on any object, but the table is a good example, as those little forks wobble up and down, they'll actually wobble the table so what's making the sound that we can hear is the table because those little wobbles of the little tuning forks, the little bits of metal inside are making a note 
that is too quiet to hear, but it's, they're quite capable of wobbling that table up and down and it will make sound that we can hear. Again, the trick that musical instruments use. Um, and yes, I wanted to show you one last, and again, this is, I've shown you a couple of instruments you would recognise. This one, I think it's likely you do not recognise. Many of you will know the basic trick, though, <coughs> which is if you take a glass and you wet it, <coughs> you can rub your fingers on a glass and it will make a musical, well, it will make a note of sorts. Um, so I've just got some ordinary tap water and some glass rods. Oh, I need a bit more water. Let's go. Oh, more water. Here we go. But that's pretty awful. That's pretty horrible. But you can hear this sort of a... There's a bit of a scale there. What we need to do, though, is, is clearly those glass rods are very bad at wobbling the air. So what we can do is we can help that. But here we discover oh, a double effect, which is that when this is the body I'm going to use. It's just a sheet of metal. Um, the point being is that I've talked so far as if the object that's making the sound louder does nothing but that. But actually there's a very... and oh, I've lost my nut. Thank you very much. I need reminding of these things. Um, because actually it turns out that um, the body does more than just amplify, make louder. It actually chooses which notes to make louder. And so now we find... Oh, not so good. That's rather good. Now the problem is that, you see, this rod here, I fear, is out of tune. The plate is trying to make it louder, but it's not a note that the plate actually likes. I fear that this... that's not so bad. But these two... can make a tremendous noise. This is an instrument, it was in fact invented in the 1960s, it's called a structure sonore, a sonorous, a musical structure uh, by a French musician. Uh, and it's, it's beautiful, but I fear to say, as I say, it needs um, doubly tuning. The rods need to be made to match the sounds that the body needs. But this, again, is an important point in musical instruments. Um, the reason why a Stradivarius is a wonderful instrument 
is that not only does its body make the no note of the string louder, but also the notes it chooses to amplify because the shape of a violin and all musical instruments is really, it's more than just a box to make things louder that gets wobbled. It selects different notes that it makes louder. Um, I wanted to show you um, just one other, it's not an instrument, but it, it, it tells us a little bit about what's going on in a certain class of musical instruments. Um, particularly the um, musical instruments that are a tube in which sound is made. Now, something like a recorder. The recorder has a very simple top. Well, actually, let me make an even simpler device. I wanted to show you that uh, you can make a musical instrument yourself. Um, this is just a drinking straw. Um, I'm just going to cut the end off. Um, and you may know that if you blow across the top, you can make a bit of a note um, on a musical uh, on a straw, but I'm going to show you a little trick that you might find fun. This works with any drinking straw, but it's I have to tell you it works best with sort of milkshake straws, ones that are a bit fatter than the normal ones you get in a you know an apple juice carton. And what you do is you just flatten the end, top sort of centimetre or so, and then what you do is you snoop off the edges. so that you've got a little pair. So it's not quite a point. I've just snipped the edges so that I've got two flaps like that at the end. Now, if I'm lucky and I stick that in my mouth, if I blow that in, nothing much happens. But, oh, it's not flat enough. God, we've got to, should have practiced before we started. And what's happening is that those flaps are flapping open and closed very, very fast. And the thing that's interesting is that what chooses the speed at which they flap is the body of the straw. Let me show you if I can show you that, because if I cut a couple of little holes at the bottom here, in effect, I can make the straw shorter by letting the air out at the side. I'll stick one there and one there. So here we go. So now when I do it, oh dear me. Right. Um, I think my straws are getting old and stiff. I think a, a newer straw is somewhat floppier. But you can hear, I hope. <coughs> that as I change the length of the tube, the note is changing. Because it's actually the length of the recorder. The thing that makes the sound in a recorder is just the mouthpiece at the top here but it's how many holes you cover up which determines how long the tube is and that's what sets the note that you hear. But, and I'm not, I'm, I, I'm, I don't want to subject you to the pain of hearing it. Any of you who have actually ever played a wind instrument like this, especially a recorder, will know that you can actually get 
more than one note from a given length. If you blow gently, you'll get a basic note. But if you blow very hard, you can make notes an octave, two octaves higher. It jumps. And actually, that's one of the things when you're learning a recorder that you have to learn not to do. I don't know, you were nodding. I get the feeling you might have played, I don't know. But uh, that, that certainly it's why I gave up playing the recorder, is because I couldn't control it. It was going <laughs> horrible noises up and down, which is why I'm not going to play it to you. But I'd like to show you actually what's happening um, in that when it happens with a, a remarkable um, scientific machine. It's this thing here. It's called a Rubens tube. Um, let's see, I've just got to set it going. There we go. Um, does involve a little bit of flame, but it should be all right. Is that going to be warm enough? Yeah, lovely. What I've got is I've got a brass tube um, with about a hundred tiny holes drilled along its length. And what I can do at this end of the brass tube, I've got a loudspeaker. So I can make sound inside the tube. And the remarkable thing about a Rubens tube is that the little flames, you may just begin to be able to see that there are the flames running along the length. The one at the far end is just to keep um, the flames all alight. You can just see this run. Now, if I can get this set correctly again, there we are, and I set this back to <laughs> wrong. So what have I not done? One, two, three, four. Ah, volume. Well, thank you. Now, what you can see is that actually the sound at this end is changing the way the flames are varying. And that actually there's a lot of sound at this end and it drops away as it goes away. Um, is that, are you able to see, sorry, I, I, do, do you need me to move it along a bit or are you able to? Okay, okay lovely. Um, and what I'm going to do now is I'm going to change the note inside that tube of a fixed length. And what you'll see is that actually the volume is very loud here, louder here, and then appears to go to complete silence and silence again. Because what's actually happening is that this is very like our string at the beginning, but the sound as it runs down bounces and comes back. And at this note here, when the sound bounces back again, it actually cancels out and it's silent at those points. And if I increase, you can see that the number of loud and quiet regions is increasing. We now have silence, loud, quiet, loud, quiet, loud, quiet, loud. And as I run up,
as we get higher and higher, you can see that I can fit particular notes into the tube very, very accurately. There, it's a perfect fit of one, two, three, four, five, six peaks. If I drop it slightly, you can see that the effect is very, very small. I'm not changing the volume from the loudspeaker, but it really fits very poorly in the tube. But when it fits well, the effect is very, very marked. And as I go up again, hardly any effect in the sound because the sound is all jumbled up and mixed. But when we get to seven, very, very strong. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And I might just be able to get eight. And there you are, eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And this Rubens tube is able to show us all the way from just a couple. It gets very difficult down at the bottom here. It's even trying, you can see it's trying to do it more accurately. But what I'm really, um, it, it, this, this can be the subject of an entire one hour show, but I didn't think I would subject you to that. Um, but the Rubens tube is showing us remarkable things that are happening inside a tube. If you can spare me the time, I'd like to just show, finish with one thing, which is jumping from music, as we understand it, to an equally important form of sound rather than noise, which is speech. And I did just want to show you um, something, I wanted to play you something, because it's, to my mind, it was, it, it's a remarkable example of the importance, I've talked to you about the importance of the musical instrument, the string, the body, and things like that, which is a, a massive subject. But actually, there's an incredibly important thing going on here inside your head. And particularly to do with speech. And I wanted to just show you, um, I wanted to play you a piece of recording that I came across about four or five years ago um, whilst driving to give a show. I was listening to the radio in the morning. Um, and they were talking about this instrument, this musical instrument of sorts. Um, it's called an Edison phonograph. It was the first system for recording sound. Um, it's actually this metal object in the centre. It's sitting on its packing case. Um, it has a handle that you turn and a metal disc which you can engrave little wobbles onto the metal as you turn the handle. And what you then do, you can see this in more detail, you actually shout into this mouthpiece. That pushes a piece of metal up and down here in the centre. On the far side is a needle, and that needle dips into the metal as it turns and makes a wobbly groove. What you can then do is turn the handle and run the needle over the groove, and as it wobbles up and down, it makes sound. This was the first recording instrument. And I was listening to uh, the radio. This was, there you are, it's an Edison um, phonograph. Became very popular about 100, and, 100 years or so ago. And I was listening to the radio, and they said, 
the British Library have just released a CD of these remarkable, important recordings from history, everywhere from the 1990s back to the 1890s. And they said, what we'd like to do is play you this incredible recording from 120 years ago. Um, and they proceeded to play it. Now, I'm going to play it exactly how I heard it on the radio. They were just saying, this is incredible. You really must hear this. This is a remarkable piece of uh, recording. So here you are, if I can find my mouse. Well, I'm, oh. Rats. Rats. What have I done? I've got it somewhere. Oh, can't believe. Pourquoi pas? Um, no, I haven't got it. Oh, rats, go back, you horrible thing. <laughs> Forgive me, give me two seconds. Where is it? I can get it here. What a disaster. Here we go. I've, for some reason, my wonderful high-tech PowerPoint is uh, wonderfully not working. But if I go to here, and you've got to try and not look at the screen. There you go. That's the one I want. Okay. Now, hopefully, I'll be able to play it from here. Back to the beginning. Right. Let's try again. And that was it. And they said, isn't that remarkable? And I sat there and thought, I didn't understand a single thing. Now, I mean, hands up anyone that recognised a single word in that. Right? And this was broken, like, national radio. This is just the most important recording you've ever heard. And I couldn't understand a word of it. I, you know, I could guess that there might be a voice in there. So I went and I bought the album, because I thought, this is bonkers. I just couldn't understand a word. And let me, and I don't know whether, oh, I wonder whether it's going to work. Oh, I always try. So you didn't get anything. I, it was this lady talking in 1890. It was this lady. And this is what she said. And I'm going to try and play it again, and I hope it works properly this time. Otherwise, I'll have to flick backwards and forwards. But I don't know. Let's see. 
no, I don't believe it. Right, so what I can do is I can hopefully go, whoop, I can go back to the beginning and then I'll jump back. Hands up, those of you who understood every single word. Well, almost, right? And how many of you noticed a mistake in the published transcription? So, amazing, right? I played exactly the same sounds to you. Exactly, I swear to God, I promise you. But once you knew what was there, it completely changed what you could hear, even down to the point where you could hear things that weren't in what I told you. And you heard, my dear old comrades. So we talk about music as being all about instruments and ways of making sound and, and the voice, the way the voice box makes sound and whatever. But there is the most astonishing amount going on inside our heads in that we are able to hear things that we recognise. You can recognise your own voice in amongst a hubbub of sound. You can recognise a piece of music that you know and like in the tiniest radio in the distance in a noisy city because it's all going on up here. Now, I will finish at this point. Um, I mean, I hope that I've given you a feel for how much science there really is in this idea of noise and what turns noise into music and speech and how much more there is to investigate and I fear that I really don't have the time and I've taken up a lot of your time and you've sat incredibly patiently. I did promise you at the back, um, despite the fact that it wasn't a question but you were just informing me, um, if any of you would like to ask any questions, I'm more than happy to. I think it's probably a little bit formal to have question and answers here now. Um, it's a lovely day outside. I am incredibly um, honoured that you chose to come and sit indoors. I hope you have a lovely rest of the day. If you do want to ask any questions, well then just stay behind. And I mean, uh, if you want to shout, I mean, if you want to shout out, I'll happily. At the time, I think she had a script. I don't know exactly whether she had a script that she was reading, which is likely, because I, th I don't know what age she was, but she sounded like she was getting on a bit. Um, or possibly somebody at the time wrote it down. Um, because it was, I, I think it was definitely done at the time. Whether it was before or after she spoke, I don't know. I don't know. Right, done. That's, that's lovely. I do, you don't need to stay and be formal. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you.